0: Hey everyone, it's Will and James here. Welcome to the Pure Sport Project. We want to jump into the minds of people we find inspiring from all walks
1: of life. Bringing you their stories, lessons learned along the way and future plans. So
0: tune in for some of them wholesome yarns. Welcome back to the Pure Sport Project. We are guests to announce today that we're joined by a Sibzi, Dan Sibal, a city man in the corporate world turned into the fitness space, and running challenge men. We don't normally do a good job of intro, so we normally let our guests do that, but that's what I get from this. What do you think, Sibs?
2: Thanks, mate. Yeah, that's a pretty accurate description. It was for a long time working in accountancy in the city, not enjoying life, and then turn my little hand to running and run club, and I'm a pursuer of connection and loving life as a CrossFit coach
0: big smiles from Sibsy. So the first time we met was at Run Club, which is a beautiful thing and something I'm super proud of. And you instantly fit in in a big way. I think you left your mark on myself and everyone around you and you're a super happy guy. But what some people might not realize is sometimes people are putting on a mask almost to try and cope. And I might be right in saying that that was you at the time because life wasn't so easy for you in that period.
2: I think that's probably pretty accurate, mate. I'm actually celebrating my one year anniversary of Run Club tomorrow.
0: Yeah, yeah. no joke. Yeah, first well, week. Yeah. The first
2: week of June was was the first time I came down. You're last like a week. real OG of Run Club. I am like, now. Real OG. Yeah,
1: how many do you reckon you've been to? So what, fifty two weeks worth of Run Clubs? Maybe the odd Saturday one, maybe the odd event as well. How many do you reckon you've actually been to?
2: I reckon I've probably been to mid forties. I don't think I've missed many. I think I've missed maybe one or two this year, and as many last year. So it's been a staple in my week, every single week without fail.
0: There should be some kind of like 50 attended front club tees. Oh, do
1: you know what they did? So one of the gyms that I used to go to, Blitz, they had like a 500 club t-shirt. 500? Yeah, because it's a CrossFit gym. So you maybe go to like three, four, five a week and they've been open for, I don't know, like seven years now or something like that. So it was like a thing that you've been to 500 classes because they can track that through records because you book into them and you get like a 500 club t-shirt. Maybe we should do something like that for Run Club. I don't know how we'll, we'll track it,
0: but 100 Club. You've been to 100 Run be Clubs. unreal. I guess we just have to try and like figure it out. Once Run Club's been going for two and a half years, there might be some people that are close to it, so we just guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the meantime, we can try and figure out a good system. Just hand out T-shirts, as you've that seen. For-
1: classic JDWG. Just Yeah, we'll just yeah, we'll make up. <laughs> sure be all right.
2: But no, you're right, Run Club has been a staple in my life now for a year. And when I came to it the first time, I was going through a pretty tough period and it became that safe space that I needed in my life that allowed me to connect with people, individuals, move my body and actually ultimately find joy in the world that I was really struggling to see at the time. I understood the impact that it would have on me as soon as i turned up and as soon as i saw what you guys were building what you guys stood for and how you went about creating that community and as soon as i saw that i just wanted to be part of it i wanted to turn up and i wanted to pass it forward because i know the reaction and the reception that i got the first time i turned up and it was just out of this world i couldn't have imagined it going as well as it did and that's how i want to make people feel when they turn up on their first session because it's all part of that wheel that keeps on turning. You just pay it forward whenever you can.
1: How did you find out about it? Like, What, what did you see on social media? Did a friend tell you about it?
2: So it's a real OG of Pure Sport, James England. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The boy, shout out to James. He was doing a boot camp on Tooting Common. And I used to do that during like lockdown when gyms were closed. And he mentioned that he'd been down a few Wednesdays, which is like nice, easy 5K run with a few people having a good time. And I was like, you oh, know what, that sounds like a bit of me. Like, well, well, let's give it a go. What do we have to lose? And I turned up and James Ingram was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got there, but I didn't know anybody. Fortunately, there's a few people that I recognized from like university and stuff like that. But I turned up and there was just a hundred people on like a sunny day in Battery Park. And I was like, oh dear. Mm-hmm. But then from there, it just went. it just went from good to better to best. It was just the best experience I could have hoped for.
0: That's an interesting thing as well, because a lot of people will turn up for the first time on their own, which is obviously a challenging thing, but what we like to do to try and make them feel welcome, and which is why the Run Club might have been as successful as it is, is we'll get new people to put their hands up at the start of a Run Club, and then everyone else who's around, who's been there before, gives them a round of applause, and we like to make a note that if you see someone new that you've just seen put their hand up, like run with them, interact with them, introduce yourselves, so everyone feels super welcome. But aside from Run Club, I think a good place to start... And we can sort of work back from is a challenge you're doing right now. And I'll let you describe it exactly. But as a prerequisite, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Is there any cameras? I don't know which one I'm going to look at. But if you're on YouTube, I'm trying to stare down the barrel of the gun and say, I would never do this ever. So if you think I'm a mad running guy, fair enough. But yeah, I have the utmost respect for you taking this on. Or anyone taking this on, to be honest, because the thing I struggle with most is, I would say, consistency or buying in. And you're buying in for a year. So I'll let you explain.
2: Thank you, mate. So a lot of us know that suicide is the single biggest killer of men under 45 in the UK. And it's a huge number that the way I see it is completely preventable because you're looking at men out there who see no reason to live, who are struggling, who don't know where to turn for help, and who ultimately don't see what they can add to the world. And I got to a point where my life took a turn for the worse at the back end of 2020. And I was really struggling to find reasons to want to stick around. I didn't see joy in the world. I was doing a job that I hated. I was really, really struggling to want to be here. And after I'd come down to Run Club and I'd rebuilt myself a little bit, I started thinking, okay, well, I was really lucky. I could pay for therapy. And that was a privilege that I really recognized because I got the help when I needed it to stop things getting more serious. But I knew that a lot of people don't have that same luxury and that they will suffer in silence, they will be put on three-month waiting lists for the NHS, and ultimately they don't get the help that they need to overcome the problems that they're dealing with. And that kind of led me into looking at the stats, understanding a little bit more about how we can resolve a lot of those issues. And that number was so high, 84 men a week die by suicide in the UK. And the way I see it's like 84 preventable deaths. Every single one of those you can prevent. So I thought because I was fortunate, I'd made it through the other side and was able to rebuild out of respect for the 4,368 men that died, which is 84 a week times 52, I'd run a kilometer for each one of them over the course of the year. I started on January 1st and it's gone all right so far. It's a little bit of a side note at the moment, but we actually cross 2000 kilometers tomorrow at Run Club, which is huge, which is a really incredible achievement because so many people have been part of that journey. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. The support, the donations, the words of encouragement, people joining me on runs. It's been a team effort and that's effectively what life is. It's a team effort that you buy in to helping the people around you out. You try and improve their days in whatever way you can and you support them when they need it. And that's really the message here is that I'm just a regular person, okay? There's nothing extraordinary about me. I wasn't born of any genetic gifts. I wasn't born with any sort of sporting prowess that would mean that I was well adapted to being a runner. I just decided that I was so connected to a cause that meant so much to me that that was gonna be an unlimited amount of fuel for this year. I know my why, I know what I'm doing. I know who it's for, who it's helping, what difference it can make. Hopefully it's allowing people to understand, especially men, that the stigma around talking about your mental health is something that we no longer need to hang on to. And it's one of the things that we should actively try and dispel. And as we get that conversation rolling and we get people talking about it and understanding that it's okay to not be okay, and that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have perfect days all the time, but that if you seek out the people in your life that care about you and ask for help, you will ultimately get to a place where you will be better. You will feel better. It won't be perfect, but you will be better. And that's what it is. just putting one foot in front of the other, which is why 12K a day a year, which is what it works out as, that's all it is okay it's just one step in front of the other for an hour a day okay hour and 15 a day whatever it is i'm not breaking any records i'm not going the furthest anybody's ever gone but i'm just turning up every single day because if you compound the one percent eventually you get somewhere
1: before you came to run club for the first time before you started this challenge how much running were you doing because i think during the first lockdown was when I started running. And I think me and my housemate were like, we're going to run 30k a week. And that was a challenge in itself, 30k. And you're doing more than double that. But before you started this challenge, how much running were you doing?
2: That's a good question because I'd always understood the mental health benefits of running. I enjoyed being with my thoughts, going out for a run, but there was never any consistency or any structure to what I was doing. So like so many people, 5k around Clapham Common became the lockdown norm. That's what I was doing every day. Okay. But even then I might've only done 25, 30 K a week. So I wasn't doing it every day. And I kind of lent into run club and that became really powerful. And it was from then that I really started building that mileage. I got sucked into doing the Paris marathon. Shout out to Selena. Like that's you right there. Another OG. Exactly. She gave me nine weeks before the Paris marathon and just told me to sign up. So I did. And then from there, I kind of just made up as I went along. And it was just a case of, I knew that it wasn't about going fast. It was about going far. And we talk about Sexy Pace 5K every Wednesday. That's what this is. Okay. But if you do that and you go nice and slow and you enjoy it, eventually the miles take care of themselves. You just have to be responsible with it and actually do it. But no, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner.
0: I'm now. Super interesting. And thank you for sharing that and being so honest about it. But going from saying you're a non-runner, even if you think that you're not a pro or whatever now, was there a point where you're building up, you started on week one and it was like, okay, week one's good. Was there like a tipping point where it got gradually worse and then you kind of figured it out? Because every time we have a conversation, you've just PB'd something else, which I think is so interesting. Because you're just, you're doing this 85 kilometers every week, week on week. You do sometimes jump into intervals at track and I'm like, simply do not hurt yourself. (laughs) But has there been that tipping point where you struggled through the first few weeks and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, with your body and your mind, it's like, now this is what we're doing now.
2: To be fair, you'll know all about that. It's just about bringing your mind around to what you're asking the body to do. Because your mind gives up long before anything else does. The first few weeks were actually pretty good because I had so much adrenaline. I remember the night, the 31st December, I was in bed at 8pm New Year's Eve just because I was just not anxious, but I was so excited about getting going on January 1st. I went out and I ran two back-to-back half marathons because I was just so gassed to get going, <laughs> Okay, which is the most stupid thing you could do. And then after the first week, I was like, okay, that's cool. We did that. And I'd never tested the distance. so I had no idea if I could do it in the first place or not. And then the first month went by and I was like, okay, I'm pretty tired. And tired is now just the default. Mm -hmm. Whenever I speak to people and the most common question is like, how are your legs? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty tired. I could do it a few days off, but that's cool. The first three months, I think my body adapted in a way that I never expected. I dropped a load of excess weight. My running form got better. My technique got better. Everything got better. And as soon as I could convince my brain that I was capable of more than I previously thought the body just kind of just got into gear and it was just like, we're doing this. My brain was like, we're not doing this. And I was like, no, no, we are. And then it was like, no, no, we're not. And then it's just going playing a game of ping pong with the brain, like convincing it that we were actually in this for the whole year. And now that I'm there, I don't think about it. don't get me wrong it still hurts. I still have to stretch. I still have to roll out. I still have to eat enough food, sleep, do all the really simple things, but the mind's there and the body knows that it's stronger than it previously thought, which is the really cool thing now. So I can kind of push a little bit more if I want to. I can push the boat out of the distance. I can push the boat out of the speed because I know that my body will adapt because my mind is set right.
0: I have so many questions, but JD,
1: go ahead. (laughs) My first one is how are you splitting this up? So 34k per week. And I know that we spoke earlier this week and you said you have coaching on certain days of the week because other days of the week you have your longer runs, but how are you breaking this up? And is it the same every week?
2: I'll answer the second question first. It's the same most weeks. Yeah. Give or take a few kilometers. There have been some weeks where there's been a few events and I've wanted to go run with friends and I'll just kind of. Not really worry about the distance too much. It'll take care of itself. But for the most part, my weeks are fairly standard. So Monday is typically a bit of a shorter run. Tuesday is a longer run. So for reference, I probably do 10K on a Monday if I have the time. So I know that's an hour blocked off. I might run for an hour and a half to two hours on a Tuesday. Wednesday is typically a double day. So I'll do. 15k in the morning and then five in the evening at run club. Thursday is sometimes a double day depending if the big day of coaching on Tuesday because I coach from sort of like 6:30 in the morning to 8 30 p.m on Tuesday so I, like sometimes I can't find the time to get out and do my thing. Friday is usually a bit shorter and then Saturday and Sunday just make up the difference and that's when I kind of reserve those runs to go spend it with friends, run for a coffee, mix business and pleasure as much as I can. So there is consistency there but it's the same as anyone's life. You make plans for the best possible outcome and you adapt for whatever life throws at you. So there have been days when say I was moving flat at the end of March I couldn't run for three days I had to run 75 K between 6 PM on Friday and noon on Sunday. And it was just a case of like, okay, well just deal with it. Okay. It's just one of those things. I wasn't expecting to run 30 K on my birthday, but like, it's just the way it went. And that's cool because I know what my plan is, but I'm also super open to things happening spanners in the work that mean that you have to adapt.
0: Hi. (laughs) So there's two things. But firstly, whenever I do these kind of things, and they're never as long, what I love so much is almost being dialed in for long periods of time. And I can see in your eyes now you're dialed in, but you're dialed in for a whole year. How are you managing that? Or do you think it just comes with the territory of putting your mind to something and saying you're going to do it? Because... I'm fascinated with, I can see in your eyes talking to you now, it's like everything's so precise and there's no wavering either way. Like you said, you ran 30K on your birthday or you didn't know you had to run 75K in basically three days. So I want to know from your point of view, because I don't know how it feels to be locked in for so long.
2: It's a really interesting one because I don't think I think of it like that. This feels like the most authentic self that I've ever known. And I talk about it quite openly about the fact that 18 months ago, I truly didn't know who I was. And I recognize now that every opportunity, every relationship, every connection, everything I get to do is a privilege. Okay. Because there was a time when I legitimately didn't know if I'd be able to do any of this again. Running for me is never a chore because I know that there isn't a single run that I'll do this year that will feel as bad as wanting to die last year. And as soon as I get on that run, I'm like, God, I could really stop here. Let's just call it a day here. I'm like, motherfucker, you're lucky to be here, okay? This is a privilege for you. Do not squander that. And when you tie that in with being authentically yourself, the battle isn't with just turning up for the run. It's just, can I make enough noise to get the support can i raise enough money to pay for therapy for people who need it and that's where that kind of locked in feeling comes from don't get me wrong i'll come back from runs and i'll be like that was tough or i'll moan before i go out on the run but as soon as my shoes are on it's like i'm out of the tunnel it's game time the whistle blows you get back and during that time on the pitch you're not thinking about, oh, I'd rather be doing this or I'd rather be watching Netflix. You're just like, you're focused on what the task at hand is. And then when you're done, you switch off from it. And that's kind of how I'm approaching it at the moment. And I'm not seeing it as a yearly challenge. It's one day, okay? It's a 10-minute block, another 10-minute block, another 10-minute block. Because if I start thinking that I've got to run 4,500 kilometers, that becomes overwhelming And it's the same idea with everything. If you look at your to-do list as a hundred things to do, that's overwhelming. But if it's just a case of moving down the list, one thing after another, after another, bite-sized chunks, all of a sudden that it gets taken care of without you even recognizing you've done anything to get there. So I find it more difficult putting myself in your state of mind and thinking, okay, how do I go for 24 hours? How do I go for five days in the desert? How do I go for 30 days of running what is physically going to reach your limit? This is about you, bro. Yeah. (laughs) But like I'm inspired by the people that I get to spend time with. And that's the great thing about the people that I've met through Run Club and through Pure Sport is that there are so many inspiring people that you look at, you're like, okay, They've proven to themselves and to me that they can do more than they think. Okay. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm feeding off what you've done, what everybody around me has done and have inspired me to do. So if anything, I'm locked in because all of the people that I've met have been locked in at some point in their life.
1: These realizations and these thoughts, were they like a light bulb moment? Maybe sometime last year where you were like, oh this is what or has it been where you've spent so many miles just by yourself running and I know I've done a minuscule amount of running compared to you two boys you know like I've had that time I'm an ultraman all right just let you know (laughs) but like I've done some long runs in my time and I know that there's a lot of time just you by yourself thinking so my question is Was it a light bulb moment or was it the time that you've spent by yourself in your own head, just running that's made you develop these thoughts?
2: That's a good question because it's never linear. So this time last year, when I was kind of in that rebuilding process, I was doing what we all like to call is just like doing the work. I was working really hard to understand who I was and what was important to me, where my values were, what authenticity meant to me. And that led me to develop these thoughts and thinking, okay, well, gratitude and perspective are gonna be central to everything that you ever wanna do in your life. Because if I can look at my lot in life right now and be happy with it and be content with it, I don't need to go looking outwards for anything more. All I need to do is look inwards and change the perspective there. And as soon as I recognize that, And started really taking note of the little things that made me happy, like the sun touching my skin, okay, seeing puppies playing in the park, okay, really like little things that you don't notice day in, day out, it completely shifted the way in which my brain approached daily life. So when I look at whether or not it was a kind of one big light bulb moment, it's still in progress, Like all those runs that I go on at the moment, I don't listen to music. I don't listen to podcasts. I'm just there with my thoughts and my breathing and the sound of my feet because that's the time where I can really dip into that state of flow and thinking where all those thoughts that I can't have time or don't have time or don't make time to kind of acknowledge in day-to-day life kind of get actioned. And I start thinking about them. I start thinking about, okay, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person am I? How do I do things that will leave the world a better place than I found it. And it's always a work in progress. There are some days where you run and you just want to escape. Okay, you're running because you're angry. You're running because you're sad. You're running for whatever sort of negative emotion. There's some days where you run and you just don't want to stop. The only reason you stop is because you have to. So it's an imperfect answer to a very good question.
0: I'm going to throw a big fat retweet on that because it is... I would say the same, it's never been a big light bulb moment, but along the way, especially on those long runs, when you're sort of alone, and I find I get this a lot more when I'm almost back home in the countryside, it's like I have my best thoughts, sometimes too many of them to action, but I have my best and clearest thoughts about things I want to do or things I've done, or like you said, looking inwards and figuring out more about self on those long solo runs, no outside narrative, so... Yeah, I understand that that imperfect answer is probably pretty perfect.
2: I do have a hack for you though, because I run with my phone just down in like in my tights. Okay, I do. I literally, I whip my phone out mid run, pause my watch (laughs) and write down some notes that I'm thinking. And that's because like your brain is really good at thinking and understanding concepts and thoughts, but it's awful at remembering them. And as soon as I started writing down, I then put them in my journal. So I take this little journal everywhere I go and I will just annotate, scribble, write bits of gratitude, like thoughts for the day, areas for improvement, things I want to do, like contemplations, just so that I have it as a record to go back to. So that my mind, I'm actually taking those thoughts whilst I'm running and putting them to paper so I can action them later on.
0: Yeah, I'm a notes runner. That's sick that you do it too. And I'm sure quite a lot of people do. And if you don't, now you can.
2: And if you don't, it's a nice, easy way to catch your breath for 30
0: seconds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just taking Sam some notes. I've got some yeah, really yeah. good thoughts here. Yeah, the journal is cool. I don't even know if I want to ask you this question. I'm going to go to another one first. We've spoken a lot about mental state and obviously your realizations along the way and, and figuring it out. But like you said, you're eating a lot more. What are you doing in terms of like actionable stuff, nutrition and recovery every day that you're finding is helping you get back out there from a physical standpoint. We know you're a beast mentally, but you can only go so far. Your body still has to work.
2: Yeah, 100%. And people like to overcomplicate recovery and everything that you have to do in the gym. But the honest truth is I stretch, I hydrate. I'm pretty pretty inflexible with my sleep. I know that if it means I need to go to bed at 8 p.m. because I'm up at 4.30 or 5, I'll do that. And I'm okay with that because I know that I'm connected to the Y. In terms of recovery, massage guns, really useful. I'm very fortunate that I was able to buy a pair of compression boots, which are super useful to kind of... Where did
0: you get these things from?
2: So my compression boots and massage gun are both from MyMaster which are a wicked English brand run by Joe, who plays at, at Quinn's really, really good quality stuff. And then I use a lot of the pure Swap products. I use the balm. I use the unwind. I use boost to make sure that even on those days where maybe my body still is sore, I'm giving it the best chance at working for me. I use a piece of tech whoop. I know the three of us use it. It's been invaluable to me. Mine's charging.
1: Oh, mine tells me to go to bed at 6 p.m every night <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shh.
2: but like people love to think about recovery as this like cryo chambers and ice baths and stuff like that but actually if you eat enough good quality food you rest you stretch i get a massage like every two weeks something like that that will help you do the simple
0: things they're luxury extras, I'd say. Yeah. There's yeah. things like cryotherapy, like, yo, you're blessed if you can do that every day. A hundred percent. Amazing. Good 100%. for you. But most people can't. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, living in London, it's a little bit easier, but you've still then got to go out of your way. And if you're trying to run 85 kilometers a week, make, trying to take an hour out to go and do cryotherapy just isn't, isn't there. For so you've obviously nailed and dialed in the things that work for you. And are working for you. So that's amazing. And then the other thing was just about nutrition. like Everyone's super interested in calories and what you eat in that way. I'm not very good at telling people the answers to this because I truly believe, well, I know everyone is different and metabolism is different, but I know it's something people are interested in. So what are you leaning towards food wise and do you have calorie goals?
2: Calories are interesting because I just keep a note of them just to make sure that I'm hitting them. I'm not too precious about what they look like, but I want to make sure that I'm eating enough to kind of maintain the state of my body at the moment. I'm not too worried on the aesthetic side of it, of counting my macros and working out my food, but I do eat a load of carbs. Okay. Like I probably go through two boxes of Crunchy Nut a week. And that's been really restrained. Okay. So
0: JD shaking his head. He
1: yeah. probably goes through three. Yeah. <laughs> the big 1.1 1. 1 kilo ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, the ones. family size
2: ones. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And to be fair, since we're sharing here, I've got a theory on cereal. Is
1: that? Bring it on. Yeah. Bring it on. I am cereal boy. Okay. I have a t-shirt with cereal boy on it. Come at me about cereal. <laughs> this is a passion. Okay.
2: Once you make a bowl of cereal, you cannot stop adding cereal until there's no milk left. Okay. So if you finish your bowl and there's still milk in the bowl, I want to see you pour some more cereal into that bowl. Okay.
1: I use a mixing bowl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Salad bowls. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I only use these little bowls. Me and my sister used to play a game when we were a kid. We used to have cocoa Pops and we used to sit opposite each other on the table and it would be a game. So you'd pour your milk in and you've got your cocoa Pops and then you'd eat as many of the cocoa Pops as you can until you're left with just milk. And then it was a game who had the most amount of spoons of milk left.
2: That is a high quality game.
1: Times are tough, right? <laughs> there, wasn't, there
2: wasn't much else to do when
0: we were kids. We play.
1: Yeah, we'll go get some Coco Pops. What was your favourite cereal? Crunchy Nut.
0: I
2: like Crunchy Nut, but actually I've now created like a bit of a Franken cereal. So I get Crunchy Nut and then I get like granola, mix it in there. And I often put a tablespoon of peanut butter in for good measure.
1: Oh, I used to have boxes and boxes of cereal at home. And then once every few weeks, my mum would just be like, you've got too many boxes. I'm going to put them all into one. And I would have this hybrid of wow. all sorts and it was the worst, but I had to get through it, right? Tough times. I just you had to get it? through this box of cereal. I, I know love know about tough times, but you know, this is, yeah. <laughs> this is tough
0: times yeah. for me. Why does that sound tough? As a kid, that sounds like so ideal. Like you're just getting everything.
1: Have you seen the way I eat? I eat things by themselves, oh, shit. Yeah, so if, let's say I have a plate of <laughs> Nando's or something oh, like that. No. I'll eat all of the peas first and then I'll eat all of the chips and then I'll eat the chicken. So you can imagine, when I have a box of cereal and there's six different types of cereal in one bowl, your brain's going freaking out.
0: Oh, anyway, let's go back to yeah. <laughs> just a side note. Me and JD have never been for dinner together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's learning. We're learning about each other. We're learning about each other. That's why we're here. It's good. It's good. That, it's good that we're different. Very good. But getting back into sibsy So we know about the challenge comes from an amazing place, but If we could rewind, if we can get like an an insight into, because I think your way of thinking and how you've got to where you are now is incredibly powerful and people can learn from it because I would say most people think they're stuck and can't get out of what they're doing because they've got a mortgage to pay, they've got a wife and children, all these big reasons. And they are big reasons, by the way, but I truly believe you're never stuck in anything you're doing. So... Can we just go back to your story of being an accountant and a successful one? And obviously your story and struggles with mental health, but how you've come out of that, because I think it's
2: incredible. 100%. And people are going through tough times. And for years and years and years, I refused to acknowledge the fact that my situation wasn't serving me and that I wasn't and that I was miserable in the job that I was doing, that I had no purpose, no fulfillment. And I legitimately didn't believe there was a life outside of accountancy. There are loads of reasons for that. Okay. Upbringing, what my parents expected me to do, what I thought society would judge me for. And ultimately, I wish I could say it was a purely brave and courageous decision to leave my job. But I was in such a dark place that it became an ultimatum. It was either remain and spin the roulette wheel to see if I made it out the other side or leave and trust that the path that I'd currently been on, that there was a better alternative out there. And when I speak to people now, I don't think I tell them that leaving their job or changing their career has to be this big epiphany. You just have to lean into things that make you unapologetically happy. Because once you recognize that there is so much that you are good at, that you can give value to the world, it doesn't have to be this enormous, overwhelming decision to pursue a life of meaning for you. So when I was working as an accountant, I, I didn't have the connection to people that I wanted. I didn't have the ability to improve people's days and people's lives. And I ultimately just didn't have connection. That's what I talk to people about now is that my single biggest value and goal for my career and life is meaningful human connection. Because once you strip everything else back, none of it matters as much as that. How you make people feel speaks volume about you as a person. Not what you give them, not what you do for them, but how you make them feel. And I just didn't have that as an accountancy. So when I left, I was effectively in the dark. And the way I talk about it was walking through fog. So when I was signed off work and I was signed off work for six months, which was a long time doing the work, trying to understand my mind, trying to relearn it, trying to actually ultimately let go of the person that I thought the world needed and wanted to see and actually show them who Dan was.
0: That That time off the six months was for mental health problems. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So I got signed off after having a panic attack in October, 2020, And then subsequently got diagnosed with panic, anxiety, stress, low mood, depression, was given antidepressants pretty quickly. And then I'd have fortnightly calls with my doctor to talk about suicidal thoughts, whether or not I could return to work, what that looked like. And in April, 2021, I had this realization that there was no returning to accountancy. Because it was the same idea as returning to the thing that had harmed you is that the environment wasn't going to be any different. I hadn't changed my view on accountancy. I still didn't want to do it. And at that point, my fear of failure subsided and my excitement for opportunity took over. I tell people very openly that it used to be the case that my fear of failure outweighed my desire to succeed. And I'd rather not be seen to fail than actually risk flying closer to the sun and getting further in my life. So I didn't set big goals. I stayed in my lane. I didn't want to be out there because if I failed, I felt like my entire value as a human being would be called into question. So when I left accountancy, I felt like I'd failed. You're surrounded with people who you work with day in, day out, who have proven to you that they can do what you couldn't. Because everybody around you is a qualified accountant, okay? And I couldn't do it. I just could not do it. And as soon as I let go of this idea that my value was tied to that, then I was released from this idea that accountancy had to be my life. Because you are always enough. Your value will never ever change based on someone's opinion or external validation. You are always enough as you are. And regaining that understanding is ultimately all you can do like that's the idea of like self-love okay it's powerful and it's cliche but it's true is that self-acceptance is probably a better word for it it's just knowing who you are and being okay with that and knowing that the people who are meant to be in your life will be in your life the things that are meant to be in your life will be in your life and that was kind of the tipping point for me when I kind of looked elsewhere
1: I reckon there's some people listening to this that maybe were in or are in a similar situation to what you were back then. Because I know a handful of people of my friends that have been in similar situations to you. And I guarantee there's probably a lot more that are in the same situation that I don't know about that haven't voiced it. So if someone that is listening to this, what would be your recommendation? Where they should start? What they should do? Is there anything that you did that you wouldn't recommend doing? Are there things along the way that You've tried to help. You think it will make you feel better, but didn't. But yeah, where would you start?
2: The bit that I struggled with the most is so many decisions that I'd made in my life were based on how I thought other people would react to them. Okay. So even as far back as A-level choices, okay, I did subjects that I thought would lead me towards a successful career without ever understanding what successful career. Okay, I went to university, studied something, had a great time. But was it what I wanted to do? No. I left university, wanted to do a job that I thought would make my dad proud. Okay. Did it work? No. So all these things, the biggest investment you can make is in yourself. And just understanding who and what you are. And it doesn't have to be this huge, big moment of learning. Just start being honest with yourself because once you start looking yourself in the mirror and being honest with the person that you are and that you want to be, you will start living a life that is more authentic to you. And that is the single biggest piece of advice that I can give. If you like playing guitar, but you feel like you can't play guitar because your friends aren't musicians, okay? Find better friends. Do things that excite you. Do things that you genuinely wake up in the morning and you can't wait to go do it. Because once you realize that energy recognizes energy and that the people around you, if they can match it and they can see your passion, they don't have to agree with it, but they can match your passion for life. That's ultimately what you're looking for.
0: If anything, sometimes selfish is used as like a dirty word, but in this instance and the way you're saying it, it's more like be selfish for yourself. So you can be the best version of you and you will attract the people that will love you for that version, which is true to yourself. So you're going to be happier and because you're happier, you'll be able to give all those people and the wider world a better experience and more love and more opportunity to be better. So if you put yourself first and that's not discounting saying you suddenly leave people behind, but if you truly focus on yourself, then you truly can give a lot better outwards. 100%.
2: And it's the idea that if you're always trying to be what you think the world wants to see, you're always reacting and you're never actually giving yourself to the people around you. Like for so long, I thought my friends would respect me more if I earned more money, okay? If I wore certain clothes, if I drove a certain car. And then I realized that actually, that's always reactive because as soon as their opinions change, I have to change everything about me Well, if I'm actually just doing my thing and I'm taking care of me and I'm living authentically to what I want to get out of my life, then I never have to react to other people. I can dynamically change. Okay, if one day I decide I want to get a tattoo, okay, for me, that's something that nobody can take away from me. But if my friends decide they want to get a tattoo and then I think, oh, okay, I'll be part of that that club and then they fall through with it. And all of a sudden, all these decisions that you're making are reactive to somebody else and you're giving control for your happiness to somebody else. And that is ultimately what you need to take back. It's not controlling all the things that you can't control in the world, but taking back ownership and agency about how you lead your life and what you actually do with it day in, day out.
1: So accountancy for you wasn't the one? So it was not a match made in heaven. I'll say that for free. It was a a change of career. So running 84K a week is obviously not going to pay the bills. Mm. So what is it? What have you done?
2: So that was a really interesting one because when I left accountancy, I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted meaningful human connection. And I truly believe that if you make people feel, feel seen, heard, understood and appreciated, you'll get so much more out of them. And unlock their true potential and that left me at a crossroad because i thought about going into a corporate job so in the form of like consultancy like organizational behavior and culture and that kind of strategy side of things and then i had this completely contrasting path that i'd never looked at never kind of expected to go down which led me to becoming a crossfit coach so crossfit was something that i had been doing for a few years and everything that i wanted from my values perspective was ticked off there. There was a community, there was connection, there was the ability to improve people's days. There was the ability to teach, to actually understand that if you see each member, athlete, client for the individual, not this just one group, you could unlock parts of them that they never knew existed because you empower them to push their limits to develop new skills, to approach life with integrity, hard work, perseverance, discipline, all of those things. And in September last year, I started working as a CrossFit coach at CrossFit Vauxhall. Just be looking in the the rearview mirror since then. It's just been the best decision I've ever made because on any given day, if I'm coaching, even if it's one class or six classes in a day, that's potentially 100 people that I can impact their day that i can leave them one percent better off than they were the day before and they do the same for me because they give me perspective they show me that actually they're there to care for me when i'm having a bad day and i'm there to care for them when they're having a bad day and it's a really really fulfilling relationship which i'm so glad i actually ultimately dared to go for
1: so during this this transitional period and this journey that you've been on over the last 18 months is there anyone that you've come across that has also been in a similar situation and heard your story and now you've spoken to them, you've guided them potentially, or has there been no one that's reached out to you? I can't imagine there's been no one.
2: So loads of people have come up to me to kind of discuss this leaving accountancy and this career overhaul. I won't name them, but they've shared very openly how impactful it was to see somebody else do it first and know that life is okay on the other side. Okay, there's a lot of unknown there and it's normal to be scared. You've never been ready for what you've never done. And that's something that I learned the hard way is that you just have to kind of just take that leap. That's probably one of the most rewarding parts of this year is people who have previously never considered leaving their jobs who are now thinking, okay, well, this doesn't serve me the way. I thought it would. I'm not the same person as I was five or six years ago. And whether that be relationships, work, friendships, hobbies, whatever it is, people are now demonstrating that openness to maybe this is no longer what I want to do. Maybe there is a different option out there for me. And everybody looks slightly different there. But yeah, there's a few people that have reached out to have kind of shared their story with me which makes it just so much more profound for when I actually get to talk to you guys about it, because I can think about those conversations that I have with them and how meaningful it was to them and me to share that together.
0: Occupying new space is scary, but it's new space, which is exploration and exciting. (laughs) at least I think so (laughs) (laughs) that's how I sum it up but one thing I wanted to ask you Sibzi because you're you've been part of Pure Sport and everything we do in our products for a while and we obviously speak about it a lot internally but what does Pure Sport mean to you as a brand community as a product line how would you summarize it
2: oh that is a very very good question the one emotion that I felt every single time I've ever turned up is acceptance And acceptance to me is people seeing that you're the unfinished product, you're not perfect, you're figuring it out, but it's saying you're one of us. And that's the really powerful part because the community that you can develop with people who you may never have crossed paths with, and a year ago there's so many people that I didn't have in my life, is now knowing that those are friendships I hope to take with me for years to come. So what would I say three words that go for acceptance movement okay the power of actually moving your body with community is super super powerful and it's at the center of what I want to do when I exercise now it's just like how who can I share that with okay what <laughs> conversations can I have on runs and health health is such a broad like subject area But when you take care of your mental health, you take care of your physical health, you take care of your nutrition, sleep, productivity, all of a sudden you unlock a new version of yourself that you didn't know existed and that you're excited to see where you can take. And the community, the products, the brand, all kind of align with that. And it's a very natural place in my life. Like, I don't know what I'd do now if I didn't have the running community, if I didn't take my own wine before bed, if I didn't practice mindfulness, okay? Talk about mental health, move my body. Those are all things that wouldn't have had the same importance in my life without pure Sports. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: Well, we're very grateful to you, Sibzi, for real. And this has been a blessing to have you in, to talk about your story and there's so many points that people can pick up. It might not be every single one because everyone's an individual going through their own things, but even for me, and we've spoke plenty of times, every time we have a conversation, I take a little bit more. So from my point of view, thank you for being on this. And I think a good way to wrap it up would be just to talk about the charity you're raising money for, where people can find you. Yeah, you're about to cross 2000 miles, which is
2: insane. It is a little bit crazy when I pinch myself. 2000 and actually, long, sorry, yeah, two thousand miles. miles <laughs> might you'll be get there. You'll blah. be there soon, don't yeah, worry. Eventually. So Instagram, Dan Sybil, hopefully pretty easy to find.
0: Yeah, you'll find him on our page a lot too.
2: Always there. The charity that I'm raising money for is called Big Moose. So they're an absolutely incredible charity based out of Cardiff, founded by father and daughter. Chloe and Jeff. And what they do is they provide early intervention therapy for anybody who needs it, which is incredible. They've helped me with therapy. They've they've helped friends of mine. They've helped strangers who have reached out to me and I've referred to them, but it's the idea that four therapy sessions can save a life. So all the money that I'm raising this year is going to them because they can then provide early intervention therapy for people who need it. And who don't have the luxury of going private or waiting three months for the nhs so the work they do is remarkable two of the kind kindest most genuine compassionate empathetic people you could ever hope to meet and i'm so so glad to be on the same team as them yeah incredible incredible people
1: i'll link it in the show notes if anyone's actually interested and you'll have a link to donations and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. I'll link those if you are interested in reading more about that. I will link those in the show notes. Thank you, thank you. Big up.
2: Pleasure, boys. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Sibzy. Absolute pleasure.
0: I'm sorry I won't be at Run Club to witness you crossing two thousand kilometers.
2: That's all right, you'll be there for three.
0: Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing stuff. Thank you everyone for tuning in as ever. Please follow Sibzy over here. He gave you that earlier at Dan Sibau. I like saying it in a French way. But yeah, blessed up. Have great days. Take it easy. And thank you for tuning in. Big love. Yo, thank you, Pure Sport fan, for tuning
1: in. As a valued listener, we'd like to offer you a 20% discount code sitewide on puresportcbd.com. Use the code PROJECT20 to level up your life. If you like this podcast, like, subscribe, and share with your friends.
0: And remember, no stress, stay blessed, and we'll catch you next time.